All right, welcome back. Episode 29 of Spam, 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 Humbug. And um, this is the perfect moment for my wife to text me, OMG, OMG. <laughs> so, <laughs> before I deal with that, uh, okay, so what's happened? Well, I mean, last week we were talking to the Ultima Online team, so uh, I actually have um, a bunch of new followers. This is kind of, this is like about a two week summary of, of, uh, of new followers and new Ultima dragons. So bear with me. I'm going to go through this. Um, on Podbean, we welcome Matrix, uh, who, uh, actually has started publishing podcasts right away of his own. His first episode was kind of a soundtrack and also some thoughts on Fallout 4. Uh, we've got, Buddy Artigue, we've got Perfect Word with an E at the end. We've got Huang Jianqi625. I really hope I pronounced that anywhere near correct. I wanted to see you when you were going to that one. Yeah. We've got Angel Podcast. We've got Game Talk, another podcast. We've got Eleanor Cackett. And we've got R. Bruins. So welcome. Welcome, everybody, and thank you for following along. On UDIC.org, I'm actually really happy to report that we have a new dragon. We have Krullin, or Krulin, dragon, um, signed up on November 11th. Huzzah! Huzzah! And on the Ultima Dragons Facebook page, we welcome Michael and Carlton and Jeff and Winfield from the Pack Slayer. We welcome Lisa. We welcome Este. We welcome Joe and Lisa. We welcome Rich and Mary. So welcome, and splut to all. Splut, the traditional greeting of the Ultima Dragons. It's the sound of a pie hitting you in the face. Not to be confused with the traditional food of the Ultima Dragons, which is Cinnabons. Both are tasty, though. They are. They are. You know, we had this... Uh, I'm sure other people may have done this as well, but we had this periodically we have what we call yes days with the kids where it's like basically we just kind of you know to, to, to try and kind of foster their creative thinking and just try and foster their um you know their, their sense of self a little bit we kind of make this commitment me and my wife to just say yes to everything they ask that is not patently unsafe or just like you know dangerous or anything Courageous. like that right bad um <laughs> you know if there's if there's no if there's no moral legal or safety related objections to it we say yes <laughs> um <clears throat> yeah and during one such yes day um my daughter said you know mom can i bake a pie all right what kind of pie do you want to make pierogi pie oh <laughs> So of course, well, that, this, that left, interesting real fast. this left my wife flabbergasted for a, a good while, but she did actually eventually contrive a pierogi pie recipe, and they made it. And since then, they've made it two or three more times. And it's—I uh, mean, it's 
obviously just like all starch, it's it's crust and potato <laughs> and like a little bit of egg dressing to, to shine it up uh, and like cheese and onion powder and things like that. Well, um, that's what pierogi is. Yeah, well, yeah. And it's, I mean, it's ludicrously tasty. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we do periodically make that and that sound you're hearing is, uh, well, it's actually my furnace, but we're going to pretend that it's my Ukrainian grandmother, actually more her sister, spinning like a lathe in her grave. Um, <laughs> yes. There was a... <laughs> I'm, I'm informed of many, many stories where, like, you know, my grandmother would make, like, uh, lazy holopsy. So she'd basically... Uh, holopsy or cabbage rolls. So, you know, she'd basically, like... Uh, instead of individually rolling each cabbage roll, she'd like do layers, almost like a lasagna, layers of rice and, and sometimes meat and like oh, tomato sauce and, and the cabbage in, in a pan. And then, you know, just cut squares out of it and serve it to people. And it was actually really popular because, I mean, it was just, you know, it was easy for her to make. It was tasty because, of course, everything was already there, you know, it was everything all there. And they kind of, the flavors blend a little differently when you do it that way. Um. And of course, her sister was much more strict in her interpretation of Ukrainian cooking. It was just like, this is, this is sacrilege. Anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah. The Ukrainians are an interesting people, and I am descended from them for better or for worse. Anyway. <laughs> uh, so, moving on. Um, I put this wow, we're hitting the tangents already. <laughs> I know. Be reasonable and prudent. Um digressions from topic podcast is that that what we're going by now i think that is Anyways, something along those uh, lines we need to find it we need to find an acronym that fits in with spam uh yeah yeah but that's tricky um i'll get on that good thought now before we launch into the main topic tonight want to do just i put this in the follow-up section it's not really follow-up from the previous episode per se but it's interesting because um of course, I mean, the whole reason we even call podcasts podcasts is because, you know, they kind of emerged alongside the Apple iPod. And in particular, um, I mean, you know, Apple has kind of served as the main repository of podcasts. You know, like if you want to subscribe to a podcast, you get listed on the iTunes store. That's kind of like your main gateway to uh to publishing your podcast. But that's that said, Apple is really just a, a portal for finding content. You don't publish content really directly with Apple. Uh, like we use Podbean, for example, as our publishing platform. And then, of course, we submit our RSS feed to Apple. And then you can, you know, pull up spam, 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 humbug on iTunes or in the podcasts app or in Pocket Casts or whatever else. Um, because everything then knows to go and look at Apple as kind of like the main um, source for podcast feeds. Uh, and you should totally subscribe to us, by the way. But Google, <laughs> yes, Google is, uh, they're getting their, uh, they're, they're getting some skin in the game now. And they are in the process of, getting ready to roll out a podcast portal as part of the Play Store. So a little while ago, they put up a submission portal for, you know, podcast authors to submit their content. And unfortunately, it was um, uh, 
anyways, I was able to finally log into it. And uh, so I was, you know, put spam, 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 humbug on there. It went into the review queue. And then I just got the email a couple of days ago. We're approved. So when this feature goes live, spam, 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 humbug will be one of the podcasts that's right there. Ah! Joy and jubilation. Yeah, totally. And I'm hoping that brings in, you know, some new audience because, I mean, we want the podcast to grow, ideally. All right. So we're back this week with uh, another topic suggested by Stirring Dragon, um, who, you know, he's a bountiful source of actually really good discussion material. And he asks, um, somewhat as a follow-up to our class, somewhat as a follow-up to our earlier discussion on the necessity of combat in RPGs, he asks, how did the turn-based and real-time mechanics of the various Ultima games make them better or possibly worse? That's actually a really, really broad question, all things considered. (laughs) But hopefully, as we attempt to address it herein, we'll open up a broader discussion of, you know, both styles in RPGs in general. But let's keep it on the Ultima for now. And um, let's even get the obligatory observation out of the way. Uh, We've already made it a few times in various episodes. The combat in Ultima 7, either part, is terrible. Agreed. (laughs) Um, It is real time, more or less. And it's just terrible. Uh, Your companions basically, you know, they just, they mob or swarm the foes, as does the Avatar. And actually, there's really very little that can be done to effectively control the battle. Everyone just kind of stands around flashing in red and yelling, ouch. And then people die or get critically damaged and run off the screen. General, general uh, mode of operations flail around until everything isn't moving anymore. Yeah, but at least there's helpful victory music. Yeah, there uh, is that. There's that little victory fanfare that plays, and you're just like, okay, apparently, uh, good job, team. Oh, okay, everything's dead now. I guess I can move on. Yeah. So uh, until you know you walk off screen, and or until you walk and like you know the screen shifts a little bit, and then you find that one guy who ran away, and then the combat music's back on, but. um you know like i mean origin and you know i mean origin was trying to be to do something different because that was all that was what they always did right you know they were always trying to you know find new ways to to do stuff um Mm -hmm. it was you know never not going to be the case that there was no you know there was going to be combat in ultima 7 but You know, they didn't just want to do it the same way that they did it in six. So they tried something different. And did it work? Well, no. Um, <laughs> but on the other hand, the only way to go from there was up. And the combat in Ultima 8 was certainly an improvement. I mean, I don't think a lot of Ultima fans would argue that it was good either. But it was better, but, you know, maybe still not good. It was up, but not as up as we would have liked. Exactly. It, it was the right trajectory, just not far enough. Exactly. Um, you know, it was very clicky and very... Um, well, that's all there was, really. Is you just yeah, clicked and you swapped. Very clicky, and the targeting was, was, was wonky when it was based on the direction of facing. Um, but that said... For those of you who've ever enjoyed the Diablo games or offshoots thereof, such as Torchlight, which I'm a big fan of, 
Um, ultimately, it's very significant because it's that clicky combat mechanic and that more action-oriented approach that was really a major inspiration for um, Blizzard's design of Diablo. And it's also worth mentioning, I suppose, that the Outland region in World of Warcraft also draws a lot of inspiration from Ultima 8. Blizzard really just seems to like Ultima 8 for their fantasy material. Um, <laughs> but anyways, you know, like Ultima 8 really was one of the major precursors of Diablo. And I mean, you know, that's Blizzard's thing. They may not necessarily put forth an original idea, but what they put forth is a very refined take on an idea. And I mean, they certainly <laughs> took, you know, what Ultima 8 was doing with combat and with those isometric dungeon ROMs and with the first Diablo, they just nailed it. Well, Ultima 8 did need a lot of refining. I mean, I personally enjoy it, but it needed polish. Yes. And then, of course, there was Ultima 9, which, uh. <laughs> well, you know, it also, I mean, it also had very clicky combat. And actually a really weird approach to defining both hitboxes on monsters and the attack surfaces of weapons. Um, <laughs> now, it, uh, it presaged how combat works in a lot of modern 3D RPGs that, you know, use the over-the-shoulder perspective with one big difference, target selection. Um, <clears throat> target selection is pretty commonplace in RPGs these days, single-player and multiplayer alike. Indeed, um, it's been a very common element for quite a number of years. I mean, you know, even looking back to like some of the Infinity Engine RPGs, you know, you had the ability to say, okay, this character targets that monster. Um, but in Ultima 9, remember what I was saying about weird approaches to hitboxes? There, no <laughs> there was no target selection. You had to make sure your weapon was oriented toward the monster or the NPC that you wanted to attack. And the attack surface of the weapon uh, which was, you know, often like, a, you know, I mean, like on the sword, it was basically like the edge of the sword object, you know, on an arrow, it was the edge of the arrowhead object, um, actually had to intersect with the boundaries of the 3D object representing your target. And this was all computed behind the scenes with a lot of positional mathematics. Um, if you're really curious, check out the interview with Bill Randolph. He kind of went into some detail about that. Um, amazingly, archery actually worked very well in the game, even given how small the arrows were as 3D objects. <laughs> Bless you. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, even given how small the attack surface of the arrows was, archery actually really worked well in the game. But, I mean, uh, you didn't have it, you know, you, you weren't able to just, you had to be oriented towards your target. Now, I mean, we can argue that, you know, I mean, this isn't how modern 3D RPGs do it. But then again, that is how that is a little bit more true to how it happens in real life. I mean, you know, I can be completely cognizant of the guy over my shoulder, but unless I'm standing and facing him and swinging my sword at him, I'm not going to hit him, <laughs> you know? Or at least not as well as you would the guy who's standing right in front of you. Yes. And, you know, too, I mean, okay, I like Ultima 9 anyways, but. I've always actually really kind of enjoyed how Ultima 9 did that because, you know, to my mind, and we talked about this in an earlier episode too, you know, like if I miss you, I should, you know, like if my weapon legitimately misses the NPC, fine, I missed him. But if my weapon, like if I can see my weapon intersect with the 3D object representing my target, the game should register that as a hit. And Ultima 9 does that. 
mm-hmm. whether whether damage is inflicted, that's, that's a separate calculation. But you know, when your weapon in Ultima Nine intersects with that 3D object, it you know it does count as a hit. And then if you damage it, great. And if you don't, well, good luck. <laughs> of course, then we can also, you know, I mean, then you can talk about Bill Randolph's favorite bug, which was, you know, the pirate that hated the butterfly and how the pirate would just viciously and desperately swing his sword at this butterfly. And of course, that's a butterfly. And of course, the sword has its attack surface, which is this, this thin line along the edge of the blade. Um, and the butterfly is a very small 3D object. Good luck, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, the trouble yeah. but the troubles butterflies cause when they flap their wings. Yes, exactly. So, still, I think the uh, the general takeaway that uh, I'm going to put forth at any rate uh, is that none of the Ultimas that experimented with real time combat really won accolades from fans, from Ultima fans, for their combat systems, even if the games were otherwise beloved for whatever reasons, you know see ultima 7 yes um in general it would seem that you know at least as far as combat and ultimas goes the turn-based systems of the earlier games were kind of more preferred by the fandom i don't think there's a past tense about that (laughs) yeah and still are (laughs) um i mean i like ultima 6 Uh, really you do right and i you know i mean we've talked about i know it's just like the weirdest thing let me guess you like uh ultima four how did you guess i don't know it's um nobody here ever talks about these games i mean except i know it's it's so weird Hmm. but uh coming back to uh ultima six and you know i'll kind of rely on you for some input on like the ultima forefront but <clears throat> we have mentioned uh some of these other games in the past i mean i know i talked about ultima 6's turn-based implementation uh in particular i think in that same episode about combat and you know how in some respects the combat portion of the game was really a standout feature you know the same rules that made combat in ultima 6 work well actually hindered the performance of the game at times when you were peacefully attempting to navigate the world you know if you're walking around in the game and you chance to move past a swarm of insects or birds non-hostile um it's annoying as heck your party kind of just winds up staggering past these other creatures one step at a time since each on-screen thing gets to move in turn and then, of course, once you pass them, you know, you can normally keep this brisk pace. But then when you hit this next patch of creatures, you you end up like all these sudden slowdowns every time you chance upon wildlife. Um, but then in combat, oh just, I know. But then in combat, all those sheep, all those birds. Yeah, the sheep, the birds, the insects, all really annoying. Um, taking the orb of the moons to Trinsic. Uh, <laughs> just because there's always birds around where those birds and i mean like I the hitchcock was, movie yeah when i was younger i used to try and kill them all but then of course they would just come back the next time i was there so <laughs> hey you get experience yeah you get like one experience point per three not much but it's still experience <laughs> 
I should hit level eight um, next century. <laughs> it has only taken you 124 years, seven months, and three days to uh, complete Ultima Six. Report thy feet to Lord British. <laughs> to Lord British. <laughs> <laughs> if he's still alive. <laughs> he's Lord British, of course he is. Yes. Unless you drop a but, plaque on his head. You don't get to do that until the next game. So it's true. But you can always take a glass sword to him while he sleeps. While he sleeps. Yeah. Yeah, that's how you kill him in Ultima Six. So, anyways, um but yeah, in combat mode, everything moves at the same speed, more or less. I mean fleeing enemies get a little bit of extra movement. Um, and it just feels more natural, you know, closing range on enemies takes a little bit longer, but the actual exchange of blows feels rather quick. And overall, the pacing feels, you know, good. It's a very well implemented system, actually. Um, you know, it, I'd argue it's the best, uh, the best implemented combat system in the series, the main it, series, I should say. Yeah, I mean, it just, it works. It works actually really effectively. And the, the tactical controls seem to matter to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. You know, like when you put someone to flank, he actually does kind of move off to the side. He doesn't just get up there in the melee. So, um, I don't know. What were your thoughts, like, I mean, coming from, like, Ultima 4 or Ultima 5? Because your memory of them is probably a lot more fresh than mine. Well, it's interesting. It's having gone through everything from one to six at this point in decently recent memory. It's it's interesting to see how how the um, how the turn based combat has been refined. Because in one and two, you're basically just standing next to the enemy and whacking back and forth with no strategy whatsoever. The only difference is your stats and determining whether you hit and how hard, and the weapon you have determining just how much damage you can do. And then when you right. hit three and four, positioning, um, you're on you're on a um, a larger field for combat. So you've got positioning, and um, positioning is more important. And then you hit five, and suddenly you have a whole lot more options because you can aim in a whole bunch more different directions. You have weapons that change the um, change the range you can damage at. Ranged weapons don't work if you're shooting at an enemy right next to you because they'll interfere with you loading the weapon oh. and six is just a refinement of that it's it's um it's just interesting to see how it all progresses you start from practically nothing in terms of the way it's strategy and then you get to five and six and you're considering all these different factors even if you don't realize it yeah i mean and i guess that was the other thing too is that you know yeah there was that evolution that happened there right because those systems kind of did even though they were rebuilding them from the ground up each time they did kind of keep iterating on ideas although i don't mm-hmm. recall i always thought in ultima six that i could crossbow someone at close range but yeah you can in six five five i don't think things like bows and crossbows and um and uh slings let you attack an enemy that's directly next to you I remember fair that. enough yeah, well, but and that I guess that would always go down too to you know just origin experimenting with different rules, right? I mean, it's like the same with food. You know? mm-hmm. It's like well, in some games, food is like critical, and if you don't have it, you die. And then in other games, it's largely inconsequential. Um, so yeah, 
So now this is something, I don't know, maybe if we're really lucky, we'll get some feedback on this one because this I think would be interesting to hear. And I might actually have to like, you know, put this one out to the, uh, to the Facebook group or something like that. Um, but you know, should we ask, you know, in what ways or, or to what degree did like the turn-based combat of the earlier Ultimas contribute to their success or to the success of the series overall? Um, there's a question. Yeah. And, you know, uh, like I actually find that a little bit hard to answer because, you know, I mean, even, even though I quite like combat in an RPG in general, for the most part, even though I, um, it's, it's not what I think of as being like, you know, the st a standout feature of the Ultima games. I mean, I mean, Same I, here. I mean, combat, it's, it's, it's an integral part of the Ultima series, but it's never really been the focus. And consequently, I don't think it's necessarily even been the strong point in the entry of the series. No, I mean, you, I could almost, you know, you could almost make the argument that, although this isn't, this isn't so much a function of the combat mechanic, but like, you know, I mean, one of the reasons that Ultima 4 seems to get a little bit more impenetrable to the person who's not you know particularly um familiar with or you know like immersed in ultima um you know why why the the person who's sort of casually accessing the game is going to struggle with it more and more as time rolls on is the sheer amount of grind <laughs> um because you know it does take a while takes a lot of combat and a lot of time to uh, <laughs> grind your way through to a high enough experience level to actually complete the game, which is another thing too, is that you know the game locks you out of completing it until you've hit a high, you know, the top experience level. Um, whereas the Ultima know, it, Four has workarounds for that, admittedly. True, true, it does. Um, you the know, experience but, finding quest items after all. That's true. That's true. But even then, there's still a runes and yeah. stones and the bell book and candle and all that good stuff. But can you hit level eight with just those things? <laughs> you can almost do it. it you okay. come close. You don't necessarily get there, but you come real close just by finding everything you need. Fair enough. Um, you know, but I mean, compare and contrast that with Ultima Six, where you can skate by with you know, you don't even have to gain a level to pass the game <laughs> um so but uh you know so things like that i think but those aren't directly related to the combat system <coughs> how it's implemented they're more related to the the um degree to which combat is necessary to progression <laughs> so um which, I mean, again, we talked about combat as a progression mechanic previously. And, you know, I, I think the conclusion we came away with there was that, you know what, just as long as it's um, in, as long as there's something about the combat that's worth repeating, um, then whichever system is in place 
will work for that game. And, you know, the saving grace of Ultima 7 is the fact that even though the combat system is just terrible and you really don't want to have to engage with it more than is absolutely necessary, um, it is otherwise a very excellent game and there's lots of other redeeming qualities to it. So, you know, taken as a whole, it's, you know, you can get into it and you can replay it and, well, the combat's not good, but the rest of it is solid and that's all right. The rest of it is enough to make up make up the difference. Exactly. And again, you don't have to grind your way to the top experience level to actually pass the game. So Exactly. <sighs> well, all right, so that's Ultima. Let's let's move past Ultima because I mean, you know, obviously, uh even if you can make the argument that the, the vast body of, of CRPGs uh, draws something out of Ultima. I mean, there's still a lot of other games that have come out. <coughs> oh, goodness, throat's getting dry. Um, so what are some other examples of, you know, either combat done well, or, I mean, poorly, too, if you, if <laughs> if that's... <laughs> I've got a few examples of that. Um, oh, I'm sure we all do. <laughs> yeah, uh, but, you know, what are some good examples, or not good examples of you know either combat style in in rpgs i mean like on the real-time side stuff like the the mass effect games stand out as you know pretty solid examples of real-time combat system even if cover is broken in the first mass effect mm-hmm. um reckoning of course kingdoms of Amalur reckoning which i never shut up oh, yes yes is just utterly excellent uh i've sung the praises of that one before uh, at least twice um, well, I think a lot of a lot of what it is with reckoning, at least, as to why it's such the combat feels good, is because it never really feels repetitive. I mean, there's a lot of different things you can do with it, and not only that, it's all right there in front of you to remind you that hey, here I am. You have this option over here. Use me. Yeah, totally. And yeah, I mean, <clears throat> it's uh... it affords itself well to experimentation. Exactly. And and the nice thing is, too, it's kind of something I haven't mentioned before is that, you know, it's actually really helped along by some of the other systems in the game. You know, I mean, you start off with, you know, a basic weapon set and you kind of you start playing and experimenting. It's like, okay, do these weapons work? Do those weapons work? What are you know, what combat styles do I find work best for me trying to play through this game in the way that I am? And then over time as you start to like explore the crafting system, like, I mean, I finished the game with crafted weapons, right? <laughs> because it was, uh, because what had I done? I'd finished the teeth of Naros. Yes. The teeth of Naros DLC, where it introduces a whole nother damage type to the game. Um, which basically is kind of this chaotic multiplier on other magical damage types. So what happens is that, or what happened is that, you know, like I had um, some crafting materials that would basically add this to the weapons. Oh gosh, what's it called now? Um, anyways. So the end result was that, you know, like, I mean, the, the broadsword that I had was like, I think it also had like fire magic, but it had this chaotic magic attached to it. And so like, uh if i could close range and just hit something with my broadsword a few times then anything else i hit it with would just do like catastrophic levels of damage usually enough to overload the physical <laughs> level, 
you know, usually enough to overload the physics engine and launch his body like halfway across the screen. It's hilarious. <laughs> um, oh yeah, that was the thing with Reckoning. The the physics engine, um, <clears throat> how much ragdoll was applied was in some way affected by how much damage was inflicted. So if, fine. Yeah, if I could build up a lot of this chaotic effect and then like hit them with a couple of really powerful attacks, do like, you know, <clears throat> into the thousands of points of damage um <laughs> prepare for liftoff <laughs> <laughs> so you know i, I remember going wait 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 I, I wanted to loot that body where'd it go <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> actually the game was good about that too if it uh if it launched a body into an area that was non-reachable then it would leave that it would leave behind a loot bag yeah, I remember that. Like, Cause oh! some, yeah, because there were some times where we'd be like fighting on a bridge and I'd like, you know, score a really powerful hit and just like, you know, whoops, he's gone. He's he's like off. <laughs> he's fine. <Bye. laughs> See ya. Bye, you fools. Thanks for the bag. <laughs> so. How convenient that you decided to leave it here before you got launched off the bridge. Thanks for thanks for dropping that there, bro. Bro, that was good. Um, but you know, like that was nice to see is that, you know, the fact that after a while you could really, once you had identified kind of the weapon types that worked for that suited you, your preferred play style, then you could use the crafting system in the game to, you know, really then tweak that so that when you were going into just about any fight, you know, like you could have the, the right weapons for it. Um, that practically just, everything was a viable option if you took the time to actually figure out how to make it so yeah so it really became about you know <laughs> what your preference was um, and half the fun of it was getting to that point trying everything and saying does this work does this work does this work yep and then of course when you actually got into a fight it was just like wild um so you know that was really good um on the turn-based side, I mean, games like Divinity Original Sin stand out as pretty decent examples. I think Wasteland 2 is turn-based. Um, it I is, actually, and I would agree that it's a fairly decent example. I haven't played much with Wasteland 2, but I've enjoyed what I have. See, I didn't back it, so um, I actually haven't played it yet. But I didn't either. I ended up buying it later. But Yeah, so... And, you know, like, on the... I mean, I'm just trying to think, like, Coming through mobile games, you know, it's funny. On mobile games, I can think of plenty of bad examples of both. Um, <laughs> it's, well, actually, you know what? It's worth saying this, too, like, because I play a lot on mobile. With the exception of Galaxy on Fire 2, which is a space combat sim and therefore kind of, you know, I mean, real time works for it very, very handily. In general, most of the games I prefer to play on mobile use turn-based combat. Um, because, you know, the, the, the small screen format really doesn't lend itself well in most cases to real-time combat. Mm-hmm. You know, just because the uh, level of control that's possible isn't as good. Like PC, As refined as it needs yeah. to be. PC, or for those of you who can use console controllers to any good effect uh, console, <laughs> sure, real-time... <clears throat> works and it works very very well but on the, the the small screen with like the virtual sticks um not nearly so much 
so you know for those i tend to prefer the turn-based ones and i mean i found some absolutely wonderful turn-based ones i found uh, there was one game <clears throat> where the dice actually rolled on the screen that was neat um there was one game <clears throat> where combat was resolved by uh basically a slot machine kind of approach <laughs> so like you were rolling That's interesting. You, yeah you got like you got to it was like two or three lever pulls and you're like rolling uh it was literally like a slot machine interface and you got like i think two lever pulls and then <clears throat> like say you lined up three swords and two shields well then you know you could like use that to attack but then if they had more shields than you had swords then you know um so I, an interesting concept yeah it but yeah i mean you know like a lot of those I, i've seen some games that use like match three as as the combat which isn't as fun but i mean again like it it works better sometimes than just trying to control the character in real time um mm -hmm. so uh you know and, <laughs> i don't mind the the turn based in divinity original sin so much because the turns resolve fairly quickly um but probably i think just having come through reckoning i'm just i'm really uh I, i'm so spoiled now. <laughs> <laughs> it, it it's uh But I do like, like with Divinity Original Sin, I do like the fact that, you know, you do get the chance, and this is something you do get with the turn-based systems, is the chance to, you know, really explore your options. Um, <clears throat> you know, talking about the uh, the difference between, you know, turn-based and, and real-time, I mean, you really can't do any better than look at the Fallout series. Uh, which, oh, my, yes. Which went from being, you know, strictly turn-based in its first two entries. Um, to being well uh, let's talk about the first two entries too right because this is something that's true for divinity original sin as well is that you know you're there in your turn um in combat and you have time to think about what you want to do right like in divinity original sin when you're making your move uh when you're taking your turn you know you have this time to you know analyze the environment right it's, oh okay well i've got this pool of water over here could i electrify that or could i turn it to ice or oh, i've got oil over there can i light that on fire oh okay i've only got this percent chance of hitting this guy but this percent chance of hitting this guy uh, and same in fallout right you know you can bring up the the, the targeting bats and um, you can just kind of evaluate you know okay well i've got this percent chance of hitting him in the leg but this percent chance of hitting him in the torso and kind of weigh the odds between well you know do i want to get like the uh <laughs> do i want to dispatch him in the most brutal way possible or do i want to you know give <laughs> myself a hit um you know so and then i guess with fallout 3 i mean they still had vats in fallout 3 but it was i guess i think of it more as like real time with pause right because you know i mean you can <clears throat> just shoot your way through fallout 3 but then when you go to vats targeting everything pauses while you actually line up your shot uh, and i think new vegas used the same system I don't know. I haven't played either. Hmm. And then Fallout 4 does it kind of a bit oddly. I mean, it's it's a real-time game. Um, really quite an effective shooter, actually, from what I hear. Uh, my coworkers are just raving about it in its normal mode. But utilizing the VATS targeting mode drops the game into what I think we're still calling bullet time. You know, the Matrix is 15-ish years old now, but still. 
Oh, good grief. I think the kids all understand what I mean when I say bullet time. <laughs> <laughs> you young whippersnappers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you kids get off my lawn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it doesn't completely pause the action uh, as in its predecessor. Uh, it, it, it slows everything down. So you do have a lot more time to line up and finesse a shot, but <clears throat> things are still moving. So if you take too long, well, guess what? The enemy has time to hit you. <laughs> um, so, you know, like there we see the real transition from uh, away from or starting from turn-based and then kind of moving through this real-time with pause concept uh, to, you know, what is essentially a fully real-time game with this slowdown mode that doesn't completely pause the game at all. Um, and then, of course, there are the games that do genuinely fall somewhere in between. Pillars of Eternity uses real-time with pause. I think Dragon Age Inquisition does as well. Um, we barely had time to play that game. Um, well, the other Dragon Age games do, so. Yeah, that's true, too. <clears throat> and, you know, I mean, it's the idea that you're a lot, you know, you get to arrest the action at any point during combat in order to, you know, issue commands to your party, um, but otherwise allows combat to proceed freely. So, although actually speaking of like Dragon Age or Neverwinter Nights, um, <clears throat> even in the real-time components, I, I feel that they're not truly real time just because like you can kind of, I don't know, to me, the dice roll mechanics, at least in Dragon Age Origins. The only thing that really feels, that feels real time day. with those, yeah. The only thing that feels really real time with those is the positioning of everybody. You move around. And, mm -hmm. But as far as attacking goes, you almost, like, like you've said in previous episodes, you almost see the dice rolling. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's not like, you know, the game is saying, well, now it's your turn, well, now it's his turn, but you kind of get the feeling that behind the scenes, that is sort of what's happening mechanically. Exactly. Um, you know, everything is just moving when its initiative says it's allowed to move, basically. Um, so, uh, you know, which of these works? Well, I mean, you know, we've certainly... <laughs> We certainly come down. Well, it, all depends. Of... it all depends on what you're looking for and what you're looking to True. do. I mean, personally, personally, I've always preferred turn-based systems over real time because I don't have that great reflexes when it comes to video games. So I usually yeah, can't do much in real time. Yeah, I like I like having the opportunity to to pause, to take a moment, consider my options, think everything through, because ultimately I'm a strategist at heart. I mean, that's that's why I tend to prefer Ultima to the more modern, to the more modern shooters. That's why I tend to prefer, you know, RPGs in general to shooters. That's why I prefer Civilization to StarCraft because I have the opportunity to do that. Yeah, and I mean, like for me, I don't know. I kind of come down differently. Like I love playing Fallout and Fallout Two. Um, I didn't particularly care for Fallout Three as much. Um, didn't really get into New Vegas, haven't picked up four. So, you know, when it comes to stuff like Fallout, um, I, I'm definitely in the camp of, you know, like I enjoy the turn-based uh, thoroughly. With, <laughs> things, with things like Divinity Original Sin, though, I find that I'm more take it or leave it, you know? Um, like Torchlight. Uh, Torchlight, of course, is real-time combat, and I greatly enjoy that. 
Um, you know, that's hilariously good fun. Um, then of course, Reckoning, Mass Effect, you know, also very excellent games. I think more and more, I've kind of come down on the side of real time, but even then, like, it's kind of a selective thing, you know, like I play the old Republic because my wife likes to play the old Republic because she likes Star Wars. Um, <laughs> I don't particularly care for the combat mechanic in the old Republic. You know, it's because it's like, well, I mean, it's just, it's, it's MMO combat, which is kind of like the worst of both worlds between real time and turn. -based. <laughs> You know, it's not that I'm actually taking my turn and he's taking his turn, but, you know, you know, I'm moving around in essentially real time, but all my combat is limited by cooldowns, right? So mm -hmm. I'm essentially I having certain to, strikes in certain yeah. intervals of time, so it feels very turn-based. Yeah. So I'm having to endure the sensation of being turn-based while not being turn-based, and I'm having to move around in real time without being able to necessarily attack in real time. Um, exactly. <laughs> so the only the only exception is the smuggler the smug well at least so far because i haven't explored all the classes but with the smuggler class um there is one shoot ability which is you know like basically uh does allow you to kind of do real-time uh strafing or things like that the problem is of course it doesn't do a lot of damage so it's not very useful, except in those cases where, like, all of a sudden an enemy is right in front of you and you have to back up until you can get to cover. Um, you can at least back up and send blaster bolts as you go. But, uh, you know, outside of that, I mean, it's basically, yeah, click, cool down. Okay, that ability. Okay, three seconds later, click, cool down. Click. Yeah. <clears throat> or keyboard. Like a metronome. One, two, three, four. But... Uh, it's a little more obvious with the characters that shoot, so the trooper and the smuggler. It's a little less obvious with the Jedi characters. Um, just because the animations for a lightsaber strike take a little longer. So, mm -hmm. it, yeah, but still, I mean, it's, it's... Well, of course, you can't have a lightsaber strike without a little bit of flash to it. Well, exactly, right? Uh, you got to swing your arms a little. That's not a lightsaber strike. Exactly. But, you know, I mean, it's... <clears throat> it's otherwise a very uninteresting, very MMO-ish combat system. So <laughs> um, that said, you know, there are MMOs that actually have like really, really effective combat systems. Uh, I played a little bit um, of the Elder Scrolls Online, and that's actually really fun combat uh, for, for an MMO. That's actually really surprisingly fun combat. So who knows? Um, And then, of course, well, there's Shroud of the Avatar's combat. It's slowly improving, actually. Uh, they, they have made some strides with it, but it's uh, it's still at times is kind of at that Ultima 7 level. It at least has, you know, more of a real-time feel to it now, um, not just, you know, the, the MMO-ish kind of card-based stuff. But Shroud, actually, I could almost see the argument being made for... I, I could almost see Shroud working better as a turn-based game. Um, I don't know why I get that sense necessarily, but I could almost see it working better as one. Um, yeah, just something about it.
Well, there's an awkward pause I'll have to edit out. <sighs> Uh-oh. Well, it seems that in addition to everything else, I have completely lost Linguistic Dragon. That is uh, sad and unfortunate. So, all right. Well, that was actually the end of the show notes that I had on hand. So I think I'm going to um, wrap up. And uh, if Linguistic comes back, you know, that's great. We'll uh, we'll get him to, to say his farewells. But uh, where can you find us online? Well, you know, myself, you can find us on Twitter or you can find us, you can find me, me, with Stan the Fury Dragon, on Twitter, uh, at WTF underscore Dragon. Uh, I'm on Facebook. Of course, you can find me at the Ultima Codex, ultimacodex.com. Uh, you can find me on a service, which I believe is actually run by AOL, but don't quote me on that, called about.me. Um, links for all of this will be in the show notes. Linguistic, of course, you can find him at the Ultima Journeys blog, ultimajourneys, one word, dot blogspot.com. Uh, <clears throat> definitely worth a read. You know, he does excellent write-ups of his play sessions with the, uh, with the Ultima games. If you like spam, spam, spam humbug, please, uh, consider leaving us a review on iTunes or Stitcher or Podbean, or, you know, even just a rating, um, or anywhere else you listen to us. Uh, but more important than that is, you know, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. This is really especially true for iTunes. The more subscriptions a podcast has, the more visible it'll be. So even if you subscribe to us using some other better tech like Pocket Casts, um, consider, you know, just setting up an iTunes subscription or in the podcast app as well. Uh, there's also the Ultima Codex Patreon. The $1 pledge is uh, that gets you access to spam, spam, spam humbug episodes the day before they go live on the Ultima Codex. And you'll also be helping me maintain and with sufficient funding expand the server infrastructure of the Codex to better deliver all the things you come looking for thereat. If Patreon's not your thing, though, um, but if playing computer games is your thing, you can also support the site by buying computer games through GOG. The Codex is actually a GOG affiliate. This one's really easy. All you have to do is visit the Codex, click on one of the GOG banners in the sidebar before you go and buy a game. Um, you won't pay any more for the game. Linguistic, you back? Yep, I'm back. <clears throat> oh, okay, there we go. Connection blip. Uh, it happens. You know what? I'd kind of run out of show notes anyway, so I was just uh, in the middle of winding <laughs> down. But uh, anyways, where was I? That's right. So go to go to the Codex, click on the GOG banner, and then go do your shopping at GOG. Excellent way to uh, help support your favorite website. Um, I'm going to pause there. Linguistic, did you have any sort of final thoughts on the topic? <laughs> Actually, I think I said about everything I meant to. Just... Um... Actually, yeah, that was it. <laughs> I thought I had something I else, one, but now I said it already. I guess the one closing thought is that, you know, I mean, obviously I think the market today has kind of shifted towards real time with, you know, games that use either uh, the pause mechanic or the turn-based mechanics is kind of, you know, sort of, I mean, they, they do have their appeal to sort of more the classical fan base and, you know, they do well for themselves. I mean, Divinity Original Sin was a big success for Larian Studios. Um, did it sell? Yeah, I believe I believe um, Tides and Numenera is leaning toward turn-based too. Yes, I think so as well. 
Um, so, you know, I mean, there is definitely still a market for those games and they can definitely succeed. I'm not sure they'll hit Skyrim's 10 million copies or 12 million or whatever the hell Fallout's up to right now. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I think you said something earlier too, is that, you know, it's it's really just that... <sighs> it's to you know your taste right i mean i i've certainly come out of playing turn-based games and i still enjoy quite a few of them um i think if i had to pick one for myself now i've kind of gone more towards real time um you know whereas you mentioned you know your continued preference for turn-based so. yeah in the same way i'm more i'm more turn-based i i like in real time every now and again i mean mm-hmm. i'm a big fan of the elder scrolls themes just like a whole lot of other people out there but um Turn-based is my thing. And I think we're fortunate enough to now be in a time where, you know, the market is wide enough that there's, you know, something to cater to either taste. Yeah. So, which wasn't always the case. I mean, you know, I would actually assume that, you know, back at the time that Ultima 4 and even Ultima 6 were developed, I don't even know, could they have done a real-time combat system? Um, Yeah. That would be an interesting question to have answered but i can't speak to it well enough <laughs> anyways where did i leave off right um if you haven't already you should totally sign on with the ultimate dragons group on facebook or there's a analogous community on google plus um there's also the udic hashtag on twitter as well uh, there's the facebook page for the ultima series consider liking that you can follow the ultima codex on twitter at ultima codex you can circle I guess the Ultima Codex on Google Plus. Um, although I realized <laughs> that I haven't actually been updated, or that something went wrong with how that page gets updated, so I have oh to. Oh dear! Uh, I, yeah, I missed almost all of 2015, unfortunately. Uh, apologies for that. <laughs> so I'm actually right now. Uh, I still can't actually fix the permissions, so I'm now just manually going to that page and uh, sharing the the new content uh, from the Codex. But uh, whatever. Finally, if you'd like to recommend anyone for a shout-out, you can send us an email, ultimacodex at gmail.com. That can also be used to suggest podcast topics, offer commentary or criticism about podcast episodes, or volunteer your time as a contributor, uh, regular or occasional. All right. Well, I'm going to uh, call it a night, I think. Linguistic. I want to say farewell to listener land. (laughs) Until next time, folks. All right. And until next time, everyone, be virtual.